0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we covered Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. We are 10 days away from the season opener for Notre Dame and Navy in Dublin, Ireland, and we get closer to the game. We've started to receive more and more questions about the midshipmen rather than Eric and I trying to answer them for ourselves. We've reached out to a Navy football expert, Bill Wagner of Capital Gazette, for a closer look at this year's team. Bill, thanks for joining us.
1: Happy to be with you guys. It's going to be a big game. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Bill, just to start, what do you think will be the biggest difference between a Navy-led, a Navy team led by first-year head coach Brian Newberry and and the ones we're, we've, we're so familiar with that were led by Ken Yamatalolo? Well, that's a good question because
1: even I will be curious to see <laughs> what unfolds this season. But I will say that, you know, first and foremost, Kenny Matalolo did an incredible job at Navy and he's, he's a hall of fame coach. So things did not end well. The last four of the last five seasons, losing seasons, losing records. It was, it was a tough ending to a great career and otherwise, you know, magical run at Navy, but you know, maybe a change was needed. Sometimes Changes needed. And Brian Newberry is very well respected. He spent four seasons as the defensive coordinator, and Navy's defense performed quite well. I think you all will remember the second half of last year's Navy Notre Dame game. That was amazing defensive performance. I forget the exact numbers, but I think Na- Notre Dame had a total of 30 offensive yards in the second half of that game. Now, the game was already pretty much sewn up by the end of the first half, but nonetheless, that was pretty amazing defensive performance by Navy. And that's been a regular occurrence under Brian Newberry. They ranked among the top teams in the nation in rushing defense last year. And that's when with Navy playing two of the top rushing attacks in the country every year, army and air force. So Brian Newberry has built up a lot of respect and uh, he was the unanimous choice of the players, all the returning players and those who are graduating said, this is the guy you should promote rather than start fresh with an entire new staff. But the big, Factor for Navy is offense. What has been the issue for for the last five seasons, and really the one season the Navy had a, a great offensive year was 2019, and that's the year that Malcolm Perry ran wild and played Superman. So it was kind of a you know aberration, if will you will. But the trend was the offense has struggled. It's not produced the type of yards and points that Navy has been accustomed to, and something had to change, and So Brian Newberry has brought in a new offensive coordinator and they are going to do some different things. They are going to still be based in the triple option, but they want to incorporate other offensive elements that force defenses to have to respect other facets of, of offense beyond the triple option, not being able to key in on the fullback dive, the slot pack pitch or the quarterback keep. You've got to do some other things. And the number one thing they're introducing is a, quick passing game which is something i and others have been advocating for 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 years instead of trying to pitch the ball to the slap back which has become harder and harder to gain yards that way on the perimeter why not throw it out there and a quick pass it's not high risk you don't have to drop back one two-step drop so that's the biggest thing i think you're going to see quick passing game elements to try to force defenses to be a little more honest
2: It's interesting because, um, I, I do follow you on Twitter and I try to follow your writing in the off season and you do a great job. Uh, but when I saw Blake Corvath kind of getting involved, I thought, okay, something's fishy here. Um, do you think he's ultimately going to be the number one quarterback through the season? And then are there playmakers to on the, on the perimeter to execute what, what Grant Chestnut has envisioned in, in this offense?
1: Well, to your first question regarding quarterback, I really don't know where this is going to go. I think the biggest issue is that the two veteran quarterbacks, so Navy has two senior quarterbacks who have played a lot of football, both have won games for Navy, Ty Lavatai and Xavier Arline. Neither of them participated in spring practice. So this is a spring practice under a first-year offensive coordinator installing a new offense, and neither of them got a single rep. So – Ty obviously had a knee injury and was recovering from offseason surgery and Xavier Arline played lacrosse. He's on the Navy lacrosse team. And then he got hurt playing lacrosse because he had planned to do a little double duty, play lacrosse and also participate in spring camp. Well, he got hurt playing lacrosse. So that kind of nicks that. So the bottom line is they, they missed an entire spring. That was hugely valuable. And the two guys that got reps, were these sophomores, Teddy Gleaton and Blake Horvath. Now, and this dovetails to your point, Mm. Teddy Gleaton is the guy that emerged from spring camp as a starter. He was basically getting the first team reps the entire spring camp, but Teddy Gleaton had to go to summer school. And Navy, August practice, preseason practice, which actually started in early July, as you guys know, with the early game, Ted Gleaton was not available because they practice in the mornings and he was in class. So Teddy Gleaton missed basically the entire training camp. And so he's pretty much out of the mix for the time being. And that's how Blake Horvath is in the mix because he's the one remaining quarterback that got a lot of reps in the spring. And he knows the offense better than Lavatai in our line. He even mentioned on a, a Zoom presser we did that Xavier and Ty have come to him asking questions because he got something like 700 reps during the spring mm-hmm. and they got none. So I think you're going to see Ty Lavatai for sure, because he's the most experienced quarterback on the roster. He's got 19 career starts. He's played a lot of football, but you're talking about playing Notre Dame in the season opener on a worldwide stage. I, I, I don't think that's the place for a sophomore making his first varsity appearance. Um, so, I think what they'll do is probably start Lavatai. And I have no inside information. This is just my reasoned guess. But then you get a Horvath in there and get his feet wet and see how he does. But, you know, I think coming out of the gate, you need an experienced guy who's played football who's been in these games.
0: Bill, and then, go ahead. Well, your
1: second question was about playmakers. Yes, there are yeah. some playmakers. What you're going to see is slot backs instead of being pitched the ball. They're going to run a short little out and get thrown the ball. So they've got all sorts of talented slot backs who are quick and and, and can make moves in space. And they've got a couple of decent receivers. The number one I would mention is Jaden Umbarger, number 87. He's a very, very talented receiver. He had been what I called Mr. Reverse because whenever they ran a reverse, they usually use Jaden because he has the ability to make guys miss. Um, they've got some weapons that that if they get the ball in the perimeter can make some things happen, sure.
0: Bill, uh, in a recent story of yours, Brian Newberry sounded like he wasn't necessarily pleased with the offensive consistency that he's been seeing in practice. Do you think that all sort of comes back to the quarterback position or is it bigger than that?
1: I think it's
0: everyone
1: learning a new offense and it's new terminology, new plays, and it's just going to take time for Navy to, to be able to execute the full menu of plays that Grant Chestnut has brought in. And that's one of the beauties of the triple option was it was so simple and Navy repped it over and over and over. And it was the fullback dive and the quarterback keep and the slot back pitch. And then, you know, occasion, it would be a play action pass. So, you know, that, that was not a difficult offense to learn. It was, it was a relatively small package overall that could be, you know, easily taught. Well, they're, they're introducing a lot of new concepts and it's just going to take time for players that are all new to this to, to be able to execute it. I think that's what they're talking about, you know, and it only takes one play to get you off schedule. So let's just say that, you know, you're going to throw it on second and, six and, and this is part of the plan is that if you're in a kind of a long distance uh, you know situation why are we running the fullback dive and only getting yard, one yard now we're in third and six or seven the plan is to throw it out into the flat or whatever a screen pass whatever maybe over the middle if you don't complete that that's devastating so I think that's probably what they're talking about is that the quick passing game has to be executed with the proficiency as. Throwing a, a pitch. You got it has to be completed.
2: On defense, uh, I know that Brian promoted as linebacker's coach. It sounds like schematically they're pretty similar. Lots of returning guys. It's interesting because they were second in the country in rush defense and their pass efficiency defense was not so good, but I mean that philosophy certainly fit who they were playing. Now Notre Dame comes in with a quarterback that has a deep passing arm and they have wide receivers that can do that. How do you think that'll affect how Navy goes about approaching the Notre Dame game, given the change in philosophy and personnel?
1: Well, what you saw in the first half of last year's Navy Notre Dame game was the whole problem with Navy all season. Too many big plays in the passing game. Too many times when defenders got the ball thrown over their head. Uh, Too many you know, passes that went for, you know, uh, yak, yards after catch. But right. you're correct. They they played good defense overall, but they gave up too many big passing plays. And that has been a major emphasis during the offseason. And Newberry hired Eric Lewis, who's the son of Sherman Lewis, who was a very well-known NFL coach for many years. And Eric Lewis has been appointed the passing game defense, defensive passing game coordinator. And he basically been charged with getting this passing game past defense fixed, no more big plays, but a lot of it goes back to Newberry's high risk approach. They do a lot of blitzing and, you know, they're, they put their defensive backs in tough positions and one-on-one quite a bit. And so when you're playing high risk and blitzing a lot, that sometimes the result is you're going to get beat deep, but they have got to fix that. And, you're absolutely right. Sam Hartman's ability has the ability to pick Navy apart if they have not improved this past defense.
0: Bill, how does, how does the Navy defense replace Mr. Do Everything John Marshall?
1: I don't think you do. Just like you <laughs> didn't, you didn't replace Diego Fago, who was the inside linebacker who you know, led the team in tackles for three years. So, you know, Marshall had an incredible senior season. There's just He set records, records for tackles for loss, sacks. I mean, it was just unbelievable. um, You're not going to have a guy step in and striker and do what he did. You want somebody who's just functional and gets the job done. But, you know, that's a big – who is going to be the defensive playmaker? The guy I would point to first and foremost is safety Rayon Lane. Uh, He is a junior in his third year as a starter, and I'll never forget three years ago when he was a plebe, and he played pretty well as a plebe. Um, but out at Notre Dame, uh, he had made some mistakes and gave up a long pass play that was his fault because he was a little overly aggressive. And instead of doing his assignment, he tried to you know, jump a route and it led to a long pass play. But Rayon Lane has played a lot of football. He's probably Navy's best defender, their most versatile defender. You're, you're going to see Ray Lane being moved all over the field. But another guy that, you know, he's quiet, but Donald Bernard Jr. is the nose guard. He is a senior who is also a third-year starter. He played as a freshman. Donald Bernard, Bernard Jr., is like one of the most underrated players I can imagine because he's a nose guard and he's not noticeable, but he does a lot of good things up front. And they've got a defensive end named Jacob Busick, who if I had to guess who would emerge as the new disruptive force getting after Quarterbacks, it would probably be Jacob Busey.
2: Bill, I know you have to go pretty soon, so this is my last question for you. There's been a lot of buzz about the Pac-4 either trying to absorb some of the AAC or the AAC pulling those four packs, uh, four schools eastward. I'm wondering wh- where you think Navy comes out in all this, and would it has conference membership? Been good for them, or if they come out of this as an independent, is that okay? Yeah, I don't foresee Navy ever going back to independent status. Uh,
1: They they have vigorously sought out a conference for a variety of reasons, and as it stands right now, they're in a conference that has an avenue to the college football playoff. You know, so and and the American Athletic Conference has been the best, if you want to get. don't get their commissioner, Mike Oresco, started about Power <laughs> 5. He hates that that moniker. He doesn't believe it's deserved. He thinks the American Athletic Conference has been every bit as good as Big 12 and Pac, whatever they are, yeah. uh, whatever they've been. They used to be the Pac-12, but then I think they were the Pac-10 and now they're the Pac-4. But you know, performance-wise on the field, American Athletic Conference has been pretty doggone good and to the point where they don't like being considered group of five. They feel they're way above Mountain West and Conference USA and Mid-American Conference. But you know, they obviously had to realign. They lost Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston, three heavyweights of the conference, multi-time conference champs amongst them. And that was a tough blow. And they've replaced three with six, so they become a larger conference. And you know, they brought in some pretty good people. You know, Texas-San Antonio is a pretty doggone good program yeah. that comes right in. So I think I see the American Athletic Conference looking to get absorbed Pac-12 schools as opposed to being absorbed. They're they're in a stronger position. They've got a really good television contract. they got a lot of teams, a lot of good schools, a lot of established schools. But for me to predict where this mess of college football <laughs> is going is – Impossible. I would never have predicted where we are now a few years ago, but all I can tell you is the American Athletic Conference is on very strong footing, and Navy is a very, very invested and uh, a foundational program within the American Athletic Conference.
2: It would be easier to predict that, I think, over pints of Guinness. I'll turn this <laughs> over to Tyler. <laughs> there you go. All right, Bill, that's all we got for you.
0: We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, and we will continue to watch your work in the lead-up to the Notre Dame-Navy game. Thanks, guys. Always good to be with you. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at E. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at Charles W. Wolf. Does opening with Navy mean the defense loses some install time for the scheme they want to implement and run for the other
2: 11 games? You know, I think that's accurate to some extent, but they've certainly had adequate time, and especially given that it's the second year in the system and that adding tweaks, which they've done, is much easier in that context. Uh, And and then the other thing is I'd also rather have Navy right at the start and get them out of the way and then have to – then have to adjust to it in the middle of a season, then adjust back out of playing against that offense. And and then, um, as Bill Wagner mentioned in our interview, we're going to see some conceptual carryover because Navy's throwing the ball a little bit more. But again, I think Notre Dame's install is complete. I think they feel pretty good about where the defense is going. It's just going to take us a couple of games into it for us to actually view where, where this is all headed.
0: Yeah. I, I think if you had to choose, I think the first game would be the best time to play Navy. In my opinion, I, I you, you have all off season to both prepare for Navy and install your offense your defense. Um, so I think um, this is actually probably the preferred way. Now there may be a little bit concerned like, well, they may be doing some different things because of the new offensive coordinator, but, what are the odds that Navy's better at a quick passing game than Notre Dame's offense is? I think it's pretty low, so Notre Dame should be able to handle that. I don't know whether that's going to be cause some sort of like defensive confusion for Notre Dame and how they're going to stop whatever Navy's trying to do in the passing game. All right, next question is from Robert Halicki at bhalicki5859. Curveball this week, given the development along the defensive line, do you expect Maris Leofau to have more big plays, or has that ship, ship sailed? Second, what is a stat that would shock you in a bad way given the potential development of the D-line? Example, more rush yards or rushing touchdowns per game.
2: Robert, I think the ship sailed and it came back into port, And (laughs) I think that uh, um, Marist is going to see fewer snaps than the 646 he did last year, which was tops among the front seven players. But I think we'll see more consistency and potentially more impact. You know, at the beginning of camp, Jack Kaiser was really, I think, a uh, more preferred option. And then the last couple weeks or so, Marist has really been playing at a high level and has kind of earned at least an equal role to Jack Kaiser, if not maybe nudged ahead of him. Now, I don't think they're going to do the same things necessarily, even though there's some overlap there, uh, but I do think we're going to see more of the Marist. Leafau, we expected to see last year. As far as the stat that would shock me in a bad way, um, I guess if Notre Dame's rushing defense stat line, uh, if they didn't have a better rush defense, that would be shocking and troubling. The thing about it is, when you play Navy in your first game, that that's going to be skewed for a while until they play some conventional offenses and have some success against them. You're just gonna because even with Navy's tweaks, they're still going to run the ball primarily. So I I'd say you know once we get to October, we're gonna really be able to kind of calibrate whether this is a better run defense by looking strictly at the at the numbers.
0: Yeah, um, in terms of Marist, I I'm I'm, in a, I'm a firm maybe now. Like I, I think most of the off I was a no. The right. thing that I, like I agree he's looked better this camp than i expected the thing that i can't sort of figure out is like we always thought he looked good in practice before the before last year too and then and then it didn't come didn't show up on saturdays so i don't i don't like i i don't know what to expect i i think he's definitely looked better than I, i've anticipated this 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 preseason camp but i don't know I, I i thought he was gonna be great last year and he wasn't so i don't know what to think about well he looks he, he looks good again. But what, what does that what does that mean come Saturday? So I think I'm I'm going to wait and see on that. I wouldn't make any bold proclama- proclamations about Mayor if other than I think he's going to play a lot because we see him out there a lot um, in practice. Um, as for the defensive line and any stats related, I, I don't know that anything would really shock me. I mean, I think the D line is better than I expected. Um, but will they be better than last year? I, I don't know that I would be if, and if they're not, I definitely, I don't know that I would be shocked by that. I, I mean, you mentioned the rushing defense, they were 36 in the country, giving up 132 rushing yards per game. So it's not like they were, um, Brian Van Gorder bad. Yeah. They weren't terrible. Um, so if they were a little bit worse than that, would that be shocking? No, I don't know. Um, I don't know that they're, I mean, they're probably going to have less sacks, than they'd had last season. Um, I guess I guess the only thing that would be shocking if the red zone defense was worse, uh, giving up 94% scoring rate. Uh but so I, I don't really know. I I, I I think we've seen good signs of improvement on the defensive line, but I'm not ready to say like I, I just I just wouldn't be shocked if they're not as good as they were last year, because I, that was sort of always the expectation, even if they've out. Uh, Performed that this pr- this training camp. All right. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. As Notre Dame is often O line U and typically recruits very well in the O line, why is it that we have a big concern at guard this year? In the last couple of years, have we missed on recruits that would have been better guards, or are some of the issues a product of misevaluations?
2: I think it's all about the chemistry, Marie. There's plenty of talent at guard and there is a plenty of talent at tackle that can be converted to guard play. I just think it's about this camp has been about choosing the right pieces and then seeing everything through one set of eyes. I borrow that from Mike Golick Jr. I like that phrase. Um, it's their third position coach in three years. I know that um, Joe Rudolph didn't make a lot of changes in terms of how he taught and the concepts. He tried to stay somewhat similar to what Harry Heastan had been doing. Uh, But again, I mean, with offensive lines, it's you're only as good as your weakest link. Defenses are going to sense who your weakest player is and try to attack that part of your offensive line. And so when you're trying to audition new people, you know, and, and, The other thing was Harry didn't play a lot of those reserves last year. You know, there are guys that were on the offensive line that are potential starters this year that got maybe three reps in games last year. So I think eventually you're not going to worry about the talent level. It's just about the chemistry.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a concern when there's inexperience. And the way it looks right now, we're talking about two guys that have played very little football on Saturdays. Um, if Rocco Spindler and Pat Coogan are the starting guards. Um, but Rocco Spindler is a four-star top 100 player. Um, him winning a guard spot should be a good thing um, and not necessarily a question in, in, as it relates to recruiting. Pat Coogan was a three-star recruit, um, so hit, that would be a little bit of a surprise. Um, but, I mean, if you sort of like go one by one by the at the different recruiting halls, I think this is kind of how it should have worked out unless like someone like John Olmstead, who was a four star recruit, but obviously was overrated. Um, he transferred out. If he was actually good, maybe he would be a starting guard at, right now for Notre Dame. But the 2020 class, you had Tosh Baker and Michael Carmody. Those guys were always better suited as tackles um, Then in the 2021 classes where you have your starters from with Coogan and Spindler. And they were always projected as the interior lineman in a class that included Joe Walt, Blake Fisher and Caleb Johnson. Um, certainly if Billy Stroud was a starter, you wouldn't be asking about recruiting because he is a top 100 recruit, um, as well. Um, so he's not going to win. It looks like he's not going to win a starting job behind Pat Coogan. Um, but I, I also don't think we can rule out that Billy Stroud won't play at all this season. So, um, I don't think it's related to recruiting. Um, I think it is a matter of you need guys to step up and, um, they haven't been given an opportunity to do that other than the practices that we've seen. And so now we're going to start to see how they fare against real competition on Saturdays this fall. All right. Next question is from at Steve go five. What needs to happen for ND to figure out if Angeli or Minchi is the guy to lead next year's team, or if they need to get
2: a transfer quarterback next year. So we, we talked to Gino Guiduli the, um, quarterbacks coach about this real recently and what he wants to do is get them in the games if possible and see how they perform now if you're playing nail biters every week it's hard to get your number two and three quarterbacks in a game Um, the other thing is he said you know when we get them in the game we can't just have them hand off they need to run the offense we need to see them do all facets of it process defenses not just you know run out the clock in in those games if they're you know, uh, a big wide margin in favor of Notre Dame. Uh, so the, the, I guess the good part about that is that Notre Dame, if they don't like what they see, or they are inconclusive about what they see from those two, they can go back to the portal in December and get somebody that will, uh, bridge them to the following season when CJ cars, a little bit more seasoned and, Maybe one of those two other guys is also ready to challenge, but they saw enough of them in May or through the spring that in May, they passed on adding a grad transfer at that point. So again, them getting game action is really going to be the key.
0: Yeah. I, I think they more or less really need to know now. I mean, I think certainly some of that game action would matter, but like are both of
2: them gonna get game action? I I, I would doubt that well well I, I I didn't do a good job of um answering that. That that is one thing Gino said he said that they learned a lot from this camp about those two.
0: Right. So um, the,
2: the game action is maybe the next level in that, but they've learned a lot during this camp because there's only been three of them. They haven't had a split reps right, four right. ways. Yeah. I'm sorry, and, I did a crummy job. <laughs> no,
0: no, no. Um, but, but I guess my point is like they, the, that, that point they probably, they know Steve Angeli is the two. So they, I, I think this season, if there is that playing time, it's going to go to Angeli. I don't know that Kenny Minchie is going to get any, um, unless they have to play him if there's an injury situation or whatever. Um, so I think they have to feel have a good sense of that currently if Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie are guys that they're willing to go into next season as guys competing for the starting spot. Um, But I do think, like you mentioned there, the hope is to have those opportunities and to actually use, actually use those opportunities to get some actual live reps in, in the passing game for those guys. But even then, like that helps, but like how much does that help? um i think you know a little bit more like maybe 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 it gives you just enough to know like okay we don't need to go to the portal but i don't know that it gives you enough like okay this is how good steve angeli is going to be next season based on him playing at the end of three games or whatever all right next question is from bert leonard at bert 2834 barring injury how many passes does steve angeli attempt this season
2: my number would be lower if brian kelly was the coach because it just seemed like um that was never a huge priority was to i mean he'd talk about it but then it never happened the way that he had talked about it in preseason. i'm gonna say 40 to 50 and that's probably Ooh. high but um but I'm looking at the Tennessee State game. Yeah, that probably is too high. I'll say 40. So here, here's the example I looked up. I just looked up Ohio State because
0: I know Ohio State played some blowouts and they like to get their back okay. quarterback in. Kyle McCord last season attempted 20 passes. Okay. So, so that's why I'm when you said double on, that number, I was like, whoa that's, that seems high. But I'm uh, maybe, probably maybe. on the
2: high end of that. But I also think maybe early in the season, especially like if Tennessee State and Central Michigan – Go the way they think, they're going to want to maybe pull Sam Hartman out of the game sooner. You know what why I think Brian Kelly tended to do this and and Tommy Reese did this last year is because um, you know, they were they were in tight games, and and the other thing was um those starting quarterbacks needed reps. They were inexperienced quarterbacks, and so You needed to put those guys in, or even with Jack Cone, who was an experienced guy, he wasn't experienced in that offense. Um, You know, Tyler Buckner was more of a runner, so he didn't have a ton of passing attempts. But I think um, with Sam Hartman, especially before they get into the Ohio State game, I think you pull him in those Tennessee State-Central-Michigan games, provided that they're blowouts earlier than you would have with a quarterback who's still kind of developing.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I would I, be curious. Like I, I just said, the last question, maybe Minchie doesn't even play, but maybe in those games, they, they, if they pull Hartman early, they carve out, okay, the last half or the first half of what we, is remaining in the game, we'll let Steve Angeli play. And then the, the second half, we let Kenny Minchie play. I, I went with 15. I just like, I, I haven't seen it at Notre Dame before. I, I'm betting on your answer, but um... so I I don't I don't want to go too high because it's just like it's foreign to me in terms of it <laughs> seeing it uh, in the Notre Dame's offense. So um, I think Gino sold me on it. I think I mean I, I, I would guess whatever the number is, I would I would imagine the majority of them will happen in September. Um, because those are when the the more lopsided matchups are likely to occur, um, and so I think uh, we'll have our answer probably sooner in the season than later. But um, I, I would guess fifteen. Um, so we got a bit of a gulf there, but we'll see how it plays out. All right, next question is another one from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie.
2: Any insight into the Nate Roberts decommitment? Um, I did talk to a source about this. I, you know, factually, it's always more conjecture than it is fact, but the source that I talked to that I think was pretty plugged into the family felt that there was some NIL factors involved here and that Notre Dame was able to, um, you know, him committing to Notre Dame got other schools more interested and in maybe Uh, presenting a better nil package i I always feel kind of cringy when i say that because um, you want to portray things accurately and yet there isn't a a place where facts live with this stuff it's it's always more conjecture and uh, kind of second and third hand conversation so tyler what have you heard yeah, well, that
0: is news to me. I had not heard that uh, part of the discussion. Um, so uh, folks are hearing that at the same time as me. What I had discussed on the Insider Lounge prior to the, his decommitment becoming public, um, which is a reminder that you should subscribe to Inside Sport, Um, We will have a promo for annual subscriptions coming later this week, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Um, I I was told like I I haven't heard this from Nate himself um but there's some a couple of things I think the going away from uh, like he's from Oklahoma I think he's going to end up going to Oklahoma um the obviously there's distance that is a factor but it, the thing that's so hard is like literally he made, he committed less than 2 months ago so it's like how does this all change in 2 months um so I think that that played a factor um, according to some um, information I've received. And then also um, there's a discrepancy of like, apparently the Roberts family thought that um, he was going to be Notre Dame's only tight end in the 2025 class, which um, doesn't make sense with what how we've been reporting what Notre Dame has been doing in the 2025 class. Um, so I can't say for certain whether or not Notre Dame did say that or not, because, I mean, Notre Dame's not going to admit to saying that. Um, if <laughs> uh, So, and, and, like, I don't know. I just, like, how how did the – were the Roberts family not reading any other coverage of of uh, of his commitment? I, I don't know. Like, it just seems kind of strange that, that that would be the perception there, because Notre Dame's always been going after multiple tight ends. James Flanagan, who's a Notre Dame legacy, has always been an important target for Notre Dame. I mean, it's someone they continue to to recruit at tight end. Now there was a point in time where it seemed like Notre Dame was referring to Flanagan as an athlete rather than just specifically a tight end. I don't know if that was to maybe ease the minds of the Roberts family. Um, That's sort of my read of this. I don't know exactly how it's all played out, Um, but in the end, it was a kid that was committed for two months. Like what, how much sweat are you going to lose over it? It's the tight end position. Notre Dame does not have trouble recruiting tight ends. um, So they're going to go back out there and get other tight ends and um, feel confident with where they're going. Certainly Nate Roberts is a great player. um, One of the top tight ends in the country in the 2025 class, but Notre Dame will move on and find other options. Next question. And last question is from Ryan Urquhart at Urquhart CRNA. I'm curious how the players who've transferred out have fared in particular, Drew Pine, Tyler Buckner, Lorenzo Styles, and uh, Logan Diggs. Will any of them be truly missed by Notre Dame this season?
2: Um, So let's start with the quarterbacks. And um, Drew Pine is at Arizona State, and he was number two coming out uh, spring. Arizona State had an incumbent quarterback, and they had a really good freshman coming in, and Jaden Rashada. Jaden, if you remember was the guy that kind of got caught up in the um, NIL fiasco uh, in Florida and was with Miami, right, Tyler? Yes. Okay. So then they get into training camp, and Drew seemed to make be, make good progress to the point, you know, they were trying to present this as, hey, we don't know who's starting, but but the incumbent was getting most of the number one reps. And then Drew Pine got hurt in a scrimmage recently. Um, not a serious injury, a hamstring tear, which does doesn't sound super minor to me. Anything you anytime you tear something, but uh Jaden Rashada came in and played really well. And now the thought is that he's jumped over Drew, even when Drew comes back, he'll be the number three trying to jump over two people to get to number one. And barring injury, I think that's going to be real, really difficult. Maybe he gets back to number two. Tyler Buckner did not play well in a close scrimmage, according to reports from our Alabama site. He threw a pick six to a defensive back who had transferred in from Georgia. Uh, Jalen Milroe is right now the number one guy. I would say, based on what we've read on the Alabama site, Buckner would be three. But I think Again, with the Reese factor, I don't know how much um set in stone the one, two, three order is. I think Buckner would still have opportunities to move up and maybe even move up all the way to the top, but he's got a, a tough climb with um with um Styles, Lorenzo Styles at Ohio State. Um it's interesting because He's kind of following the arc he would have fallen had he stayed at, followed at, he stayed at Notre Dame. You know, there wouldn't have been a great opportunity for Lorenzo to be a starter this year at cornerback at Notre Dame. He would have probably been the, maybe the fourth or fifth option in a deep cornerback room. That's kind of what he walks into at Ohio State. It, It seems like he's content with kind of developing this year and then being a factor next year, but he is definitely a cornerback there. And not in there too deeps. And then Logan Diggs was walking into a kind of a numbers game. And yet, in talking with the offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock, there was a hope that he would be able to distinguish himself and maybe reach the top of the depth chart. But they have a lot of talent there. They have a lot of numbers. And, you know, he's probably going to be in a similar situation in terms of playing time with um with you know, the number of backs so that he would have been at Notre Dame with Audric Estime and some of these other guys, will they miss any of them? I think if Sam Hartman gets hurt, they would miss Buckner. I think he's right uh, ahead of where the current quarterbacks are. Lorenzo styles. If he was going to be a cornerback, um, which he had moved to here before he transferred, I think they would maybe miss him more next year than they would this year. I mean, but he'd be a, you know, great guy to have on your team. Diggs, I mean, I love the talent in the running back room, especially after interviewing Devin Ford last night and knowing Jadarian Price remains looking very healthy. And yet there was something about Diggs that you could really count on him in games. You knew that when the bright lights came on, you were going to get his best. So I would say out of those four, probably Diggs is the, person that you miss the most and and Buckner if Sam Harmon got hurt
0: yeah I I think Diggs is the one you miss I I you can't replace sort of that experience that he had I mean you can replace it but like just going into the season you can't know like we think Jadarian Price and Jabron Payne and Devin Ford can all be valuable assets to the running game Um, and even the passing game as as guys on the backfield. But Logan Diggs had done it for Notre Dame. Um I and I really like the way like Logan Diggs and Audrey Gestime sort of fed off each other. They had a seemingly good playing relationship that I think helped each other. Um and not that those guys that are in the running back room with Audrey Estime now can't do can't mimic that. But um I would feel the most comfortable if Logan Diggs was the guy back there than a bunch of guys that haven't been able to prove themselves at Notre Dame yet. So that would be the one I think they missed the most. You're right. Like styles, like the cornerback room is loaded right now. Um, and it sounds like he's gone into a situation where he doesn't have playing time right away at, at Ohio state either. So it's a bit of an interesting um, decision there um, for him, but obviously like, you know, the connection to his family and playing with his brother. So that's a different sort of opportunity than existed at Notre Dame being on his own. Um, and, and Buckner. Yeah. I think, I mean, even if you're talking about as the backup, I think I'd probably rather have Drew Pine as the backup than Steve Angeli in in, uh, in a situation this season. Um, it wouldn't necessarily help you in the long run. Nobody on our tra- message board would say that. No, <laughs> I don't know. Well, Drew Pine's best role was as a backup coming off the bench, um, I, I think, personally. Um, so I, I think like if you needed him to do that, or if he was in a position to do that, that would be helpful. But... Um, so I, I don't think they're all definitely things that Notre Dame can overcome, except for probably the quarterback spot. I think like if, if Sam Hartman goes down, then I think Notre Dame is probably a worse spot, not having Tyler Buckner and or Drew Pine on its roster, but that wasn't, that wasn't what those guys wanted to do. And, uh, so that's why Notre Dame is in the position that it is. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone you like to tailgate with. We are back on YouTube on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern for Football Never Sleeps. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe to us over there, even if you listen to the audio that gets posted later on this podcast feed. We are trying to get to 2,000 subscribers on the page before kickoff in dublin so please head over there and help us out and we'll be back with you next week for another podcast which will start our typical game week schedule of recording on tuesday we'll get a podcast done before i hit the hit the uh hit the airways to head over to ireland um, which is kind of crazy that we're almost here i need to i need to start learning about what i need to know about being a, a someone who is traveling in Ireland because I am probably ill prepared at this point, but we got time to figure that out.
2: Um, well, at but, least they have the courtesy to speak English.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have to worry about that. So I'm feeling a little bit better um, until, until you hear us again, stick with inside for all your entertainment coverage needs. And as I said earlier, there will be a subscription special coming later this week for annual subscription. So please keep an eye out on that. Have a good week.